everybody. Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 208. On today's show, we begin a series on paleoanthropology and human origins. Let's dig a little deeper, but stop when you hit rocks, because that's people. (laughs) All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Rachel, how's it going? Hello, pretty good. So we're down here, still hanging out in Mexico. Still here, yeah. We just love it here so much. And I'm actually looking at the Sea of Cortez right now, so like out the window of the RV. Like as you're recording. It's, it's not a bad life. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it's neat. Yeah. And we've got uh, some good friends around us because we, we've re-situated as some people left the event that we were on and, and we've moved closer to the beach and it's just uh, it's just really cool. Yeah. It's just so. we're in this like perfect situation right now where yeah. I'm like, I don't ever want to leave. But also, yeah. this is not my country, so I'll have to go eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. and that just reminds me, you know, we've had to do some driving around here. And I got to tell you what, the only real jerk drivers in this country are Americans. Are Americans. Yeah. Every time somebody passes us on like a double yellow or right. just does something that's really like not cool. Arizona license plate every time. Or pretends the speed is in miles <laughs> per hour, not kilometers. Right. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not calling out all Arizonans. It's just that that's the closest you know, United States border. Yeah, but it's here, all Arizonans. So. <laughs> yeah. All the ones that come down here anyway. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. They're just, uh, when you go to another country, it, it's beneficial to, you know, to you and to everybody to just respect their, respect you know, the, rules. the laws and the people. Yeah. yeah. And like, honestly, the consequences of breaking the rules here, like that's not yeah. good for anybody. I don't know why people are so, I don't know. I don't know why they speed and don't right. stop at stop signs and don't follow the rules. But anyway, that's a different rant for a different day. Yeah, indeed. So, Anyway, 
we're going to talk about something, and this is going to be a series we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, we're not quite sure how many parts it's going to be because it's a big topic. Yeah. It like keeps growing and growing. Yeah. So it might go from, it's two for sure right now, but it might go to three uh, or maybe even four. I think it's at least three or four. Do you? Okay. Yeah. So what we're talking about is paleoanthropology. And this is a podcast that I want to actually have on the Archaeology Podcast Network, but I'm not qualified to run it. Yeah. You know, I just have an interest in paleoanthropology and I'd really love it if a, if a paleoanthropologist that happens to be listening <laughs> that wants to have their own show we'll provide yeah. you the platform yeah. you just bring the content and, yeah. and let's talk about this stuff yeah because what we're going to do today is like a basic overview yeah kind of like what you get in paleoanthropology 101 in college which right? i don't think is a class that exists uh, i yeah. don't know i think i took a class like that in college yeah. but it was it, it was it's an overview because we don't have time to really deep dive every single one of these but we talk about this from a recent discovery stand, standpoint enough mm-hmm. on this podcast that we thought it would be good to just have like a well-researched like deep dive episode into just yeah. what the whole like timeline of human ancestors and human origins is. So that's what yeah. we're that's what our goal is here. But overview though. Right. Not super into it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So discussing the term real quick paleoanthropology. It's basically the study of fossilized humans and human ancestors and mm-hmm. the stuff they left behind yeah yeah that's basically all it is mm-hmm. i mean it, it it means old human that's what paleoanthropology means yeah uh, so and the study it, of old humans and it's like they're they're fossilized for sure so these are rocks so they're like yeah. chipping rocks out of rock in order to find right. these things which makes it very difficult and it means that the preservation conditions mm-hmm. need to be exactly right and i think the paleoanthropologists these days have gotten really good at knowing where to look to f- right. where where they might find the right kind of stuff you know the right kind of preservation to find things but it's still really hard to find it's like a mm-hmm. that one in a million find is going to be the thing that like fills in a <laughs> hole on the on the the tree of humans and human origins which is the first thing I want to talk about. Yes, let's talk about the that. The human evolutionary tree is not a tree at all. It's a bush. The, yes, there very are, true. There are lots of parts to it. We we live kind of in the only time in the human ancestral history where there's only one species of humans alive. Yeah, that's a good one point. One hominid species. Yeah. Right? And These that's are it. all overlapping by like yeah. millions of years. So Yeah, there yeah. were sometimes, I mean, potentially even, you know six, seven, eight, nine different species mm-hmm. of hominid-like creatures roaming the planet Yeah, true. at the same time. I, I would say one caveat to that is that this is our eyes looking backwards at what we have found. So we're assigning all these different species to things based on the fragments that we're finding right. in the fossil record. And so we could be wrong. We could definitely be wrong about how many there were, what they date to, and oh. stuff like that. You well, know, we definitely don't have a complete picture. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a puzzle for sure. And that's the next thing I was going to talk about. Like, how do we know that we're talking about paleoanthropology and not primatology? Yeah, you know, when you yeah. see something that's seven million years old, and you're like, well, how how do I put this on the human family tree and not on the say, you know, chimpanzee or mm-hmm. gorilla family tree or something like that? And and one of the reasons is because, well. First off, chimpanzees, gorillas, those types of things, they also evolve like every species yes. does, but they haven't evolved in the way that the human line has, right. right? Chimpanzees are still walking on all fours. They've been doing that for 20 million years or more, mm-hmm. and and their their common ancestor with us did. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what makes it something that we end up putting it as far as an ancestral line to current humans is, was there some sort of 
evolutionary adaptation or some sort of change that we can note within this fossil that was found that is a trait that humans have today or that led to something that humans have today, mm-hmm. like upright walking, uh, right. an opposable thumb, you know, other kinds of things like your, your legs starting to shape so you can stand upright mm-hmm. more often. I mean, chimpanzees and gorillas and stuff can stand upright, but not for very long. And it looks uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, so the shape of the face is another one, right. whether it, the the front part of it like protrudes more yeah. like a monkey or, you know, it's flatter like a human. So yeah. those, those sorts of things are what they're looking at. And of course, it always means like finding the right piece of the fossilized sure. skeleton in order to even like assess that kind of stuff too. Yeah, we could have it's a like, hard business. <laughs> I know we could have finger bones of yeah. unidentified hominid species right now that yeah. maybe we think are something else mm-hmm. or sitting in the I don't know box. Yeah, right. But it could yeah. be a completely different species of hominid. Yeah, without you know? the rest of it though, you yeah. just it's hard to say, and you have it out of context too. You're never going to be able to place right. it with the rest of that species. You just can't. The other thing we have to talk about in this segment, of course, is the. You know, the, the image that actually all anthropologists even love. Uh, I even of, love it. I, I mean, love you, it, too. You have yeah. to love it. It's the image of something like a monkey. And then there's usually like eight or so steps and it turns out to be a human. Yeah. Some of my favorites are it then like like hunches down and is at a computer or something like that. Yeah. Or, or you know, whatever. Or but, goes on to like Bigfoot or Sasquatch or something. Right. Those ones are always funny, too. But while we do appreciate that image and we like it, uh, it's not accurate. No. Right. Because humans definitively and there's no debate or question about this did not evolve from monkeys chimpanzees chimpanzees aren't monkeys by the way get that straight right true monkeys have tails chimpanzees do not yeah and we didn't evolve from any of the current primate species that are alive today but we have a common ancestor Mm -hmm. with all the primate species that are alive today yeah we have a common ancestor that goes back i think the last i heard was about 20 million years is the thought just from genetic really does it go back that far yeah just from just from looking at the the genetic code of the two species like there's a there's a really relatively well-known book by john marks who's been interviewed on this show yeah Called ninety being ninety eight percent chimpanzee, just ninety eight percent chimpanzee. I think it's called. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah ninety eight yeah. percent chimpanzee. Great book because he because he mentions that we are of course we share ninety eight percent of the genome with the chim- chimpanzee. That two mm-hmm. percent makes us very different, but that's all it takes, mm-hmm. right? Because the the human genome and the chimpanzee genome are massive. Yeah, you know, millions and millions of of, of pieces of code here, mm-hmm. and it only takes two percent of that to make us that much different. Yeah, because when it comes right down to it. Yeah, we're both mammals. We both have hair. We just have less of it. Yep. You know, we both reproduce the same way. We both, you know, have brains. We mm-hmm. both have, you know, hands and fingers yeah, and like toes. Yeah, like even use hands the same way. Like there's a it's lot just, of similarities. It's just those little bit of changes in the genetic code make our brains a little bigger. Yep. Make them structured a little bit differently mm-hmm. and change our anatomy a bit. Yeah. And that is that changes everything. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So. And just going back to the common ancestor idea in case that's like that's a phrase that it's super obvious when you learn about it, but it's not totally obvious when you f- when you first hear it. Like, what does yeah. that mean exactly? But but what we're talking about is an ancestor that is shared with another species. In this yeah. case, we're talking about chimpanzee or probably bonobo would be the closest one to yeah. humans, I think. Yeah. But what happens is, is we share this point way, way far ago, 20 million mm-hmm. years or whatever it is. And then from there, we branch off in two different directions. So rather than this linear thing where it's like this unbroken line back mm-hmm. to chimpanzees, it's 
it's this point where we break and then you know in the one direction goes human and it's this crazy bush like we talked about like spreading in a bunch of different directions and in the other totally different direction goes the chimpanzee line with all of their ancestors which are completely different to what they are today as well so that's the thing to keep in mind here it's it's not linear it's this branching bush idea (laughs) and if you go back far enough Everything has a common ancestor with everything else. Sure. Yeah. Because one of the things I always remember from that book from Dr. Marx is that we're also something like 74% daffodil. He says, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Because, because if you go yeah. back far enough, all living animals have a common ancestor with all living plants. Right. Because we all go back to single celled organisms. Yeah. So when you go back to single celled organisms, all multi-celled organisms have a common ancestor with single-celled organisms. Mm-hmm. And then those multicellular organisms started to change. They became fish eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, they became a lot of amoeba and stuff like, like that in between. Yeah. yeah. But then that started branching out. And mm-hmm. all you had to do was be successful in breeding. Mm-hmm. That's the only requirement for having your line continue. So mm-hmm. if you had a genetic mutation or adaptation that was advantageous, and by advantageous meant you could have sex because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't mean you're even able to survive in your environment better. It just means you're able to survive in your environment long enough to have sex and reproduce. Mm-hmm. That's literally all this means. It's true. Yeah. They, they, I mean, sometimes they even call it sexual evolution because it's, that's the only thing you need to be able to do. Yeah. Right. And that's why and then your genes get carried along. And, and that's why some have argued that our evolution has probably stopped because we're able to, not select out people that may have been selected out in the past. Like maybe somebody is born with a mutation or born with some sort of genetic disorder that would have made them unfavorable to be around for whatever reason. Right. And then they wouldn't have been mated with, and then they would have died without children. But now it doesn't really matter what you have. You can find a partner Yeah. and then you can have sex with that partner. Mm -hmm. And if you can have kids, well, whatever you were born with that made you the way you are is now part of the genome on. and it's getting passed on That's for good really, or for bad. That's a really interesting point. And it's like the beauty of humanity in, right. in one way because you can be whoever you are and find a place that accepts right. you and be happy and have a lovely life. But from a genetic standpoint, I suppose there, yeah, like everything mm-hmm. is always being carried down. So nothing's yeah. being selected for. Not really. There's probably small examples. And, mm-hmm. you know, genetic drift is when you have a smaller population with right. you know, various things going on genetically. That's a very bad explanation. But yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. very, very simple. But yeah. And here's the other thing about the human family. Well, we're just going to keep calling it the family tree because that's what people call it. If you want to look up clades and like cladism, that's really what it is. Clades are just. It's almost like a diagonal line with little things coming off of it. Mm-hmm. That's really what the tree is these days. Oh, yeah. That's how geneticists talk about it. Yeah. But either way, it's not really a tree. It's more of a bush. There isn't one single branching. And the reason for that is I, I was always taught that things that were different species couldn't breed. They could have sex. Mm-hmm. That's different than breeding. Mm-hmm. You, they couldn't breed and have viable offspring. It's like, um, yeah. I think the donkey or the mule, I always get them mixed up, but one of those can't actually breed. Yes. You can cross a horse and a donkey, I think, and get a mule. I think that's how that works. Yeah. But that mule can't reproduce. It can't it's reproduce. sterile. Right. 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 But that doesn't mean that some of these branches of proto-humans or hominids, we call them, these things that are barely human, they're barely, you know, primate like they're mm-hmm. there's something in between 
some of them could breed yeah. <laughs> and have viable offspring. Yeah. And, and that way, you know, you could have this one line and, and line one and line two breed and have viable offspring and then line two and line three breed because they all live at the same time mm-hmm. and have a viable offspring. And mm-hmm. then now lines five and six, which are part of those, are now breeding and having viable offspring or mm-hmm. four and five, whatever the numbers are. But you know what I mean? The kids are now breeding. Yeah. Not realistically, but maybe. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> right. and they're now having viable offspring. So because of that, you can have multiple species living at the same time with the their different their own genetic mutations and, and differences mm-hmm. and then coming together and producing these these crazy things that could also breed and then, and then have pass their own, on that, yeah. that genetics down to the next generation, right. basically. And yeah. as the world changes, some things may become more favorable. Like, for example, they call the uh, they call it the oh, what do they call it? The the aquatic ape theory, which is basically, you know, animals coming down from the trees uh, mm-hmm. like chimpanzees still largely live in trees. Yeah. But as the savanna encroached on Africa and the jungle like atmosphere kind of went away, they had to start coming out of the trees a little bit in order to hunt. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, bipedalism, things that could walk upright and maybe throw something were mm-hmm. a little more advantageous because yep. they could live longer, have more kids. Yep. And then uh, the whole aquatic ape thing is, uh, you know, maybe they started spending a lot more time in and near water sources to to get those animals. And that's why they maybe lost some of their hair and became more slick and, and, you know, hairless and like their their ancestors. I don't really know a whole lot about that. Mm -hmm. But either way, there's a lot of different theories on why certain mutations happened and not why they happened. They happened because of random mutations, but Mm -hmm. why they were favored enough to propagate, Mm -hmm. you know. And, And I think most would agree that it's because you know, maybe, maybe you have some weird mutation, but maybe you only have one child, Mm -hmm. right? But if you're uh, a male, to be honest with you, and you impregnate many females and you have many children, whatever trait you have is moving on. Right. So if you're strong and you're seen as somebody who the women want to mate with the females of the species, the females can only have so many kids, but the males can have sex with as many women as they want. Mm -hmm. And so it was often the male traits that were passed on that way because they could propagate a lot faster and a lot more Mm -hmm. than the females could. It's just natural. That's just biology. Right. Right. So totally. Anyway, we're going to spend the rest of this series basically talking about a number of examples and it's not an exhaustive list. It's not a, you know, a thorough search. It's just, some of the things that have contributed to the hominid family tree that were found and that were important and that we just want to talk about. Yeah. We're going to kind of start from the oldest and then move to the youngest and sort of fill in Mm -hmm. the the tree from there just to give an idea, an overview of, of who contributed to the genetics that we have today, today, possibly, possibly contributed their genetics. Like, you know, they, some of these might've died out without ever, adding to modern what became modern humans right. but but they they have modern human they have characteristics that you see in modern humans or or the beginnings yeah. of them so yeah. yeah there's some really cool cool ones to talk about here all right well since we're not experts on this we're going to take a break and on the other side we're going to talk to Chad and see what he thinks back in a minute you've worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply welcome back to the archaeology show episode 
208, and we're talking paleoanthropology, mm-hmm. oldest human ancestors. Yeah. And yeah, now we're going to go to Chad, which is in West Central Africa, and we're going to talk about Sahelanthropus chadensis. Yeah. So one of the first and most important physical characteristics that that puts a species in the human line is the ability to walk upright. Right. Bipedalism, right? So Sahelanthropus chadensis lived approximately 7 million to 6 million-ish years ago. Mm-hmm. And they definitely show some of those characteristics. Yeah. And I think this one was discovered when I was in college. Yeah. Or, or at least published. Yeah. Because I remember it being a big deal and people talking I about do. it. I remember, I yeah. remember that as well. Same same thing. So Yeah. That would have been early 2000s. Yeah. And we only have cranial bones so far for this species. But the this is how they, they determine or they think that this species walked upright is that in the cranium, the position of the foramen magnum is further forward than it is in apes. Mm-hmm. Now, the foramen magnum is where your spinal column comes in and joins with your skull. And it's where the head bone connects to the backbone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all of the nerves and everything going into and out of the brain are kind of going through that area. So mm-hmm. it's a really important part. And if you can imagine on a human, it's further back. And that allows the head to sit upright more. Yeah. It's what you would see in a species that is walking upright, right? Whereas in apes, it's forward and it's more what you would see in a species that is not upright. It's mm-hmm. on their hands and feet or even swinging in the trees or whatever. Sure. So, Yeah. And they need their heads right there because they are they walk on all fours. Yeah. Mostly they their head has to be further forward and, and they need that. But for bipedalism, which just means walking on two legs mm-hmm. most of the time. You have to be able to look out in front of you. Yeah. You don't want your head way out there. You don't want to, you know. You don't want to be like looking down yeah. towards the ground either. You're, right. you're up and facing forward. So that's right. one really good indication of whether a species walks upright. So I, I thought that was really interesting because mm-hmm. you usually think of walking upright as looking at the pelvis or at the leg bones to get an idea of whether yeah. or not they're upright. But this the position of the frame and magnum is another great way to look and make an assumption or a guess as to how they walked. Right. The cool thing about this is it's not it's not a human. Yeah. No, it's definitely not, not. It's not hominid. It still has characteristics and ape-like features as well. Yeah. And some of the ape-like features were it's a sl- smaller brain and, and even a little bit smaller than a chimpanzee's for that matter. Mm-hmm. And this would have probably been a shorter creature as well. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it had a sloping face, prominent brow ridges. And then an, an elongated skull, yeah. you know, and, and probably like prognathic, they call it, where your face like sticks out a little bit. Yeah. Like you imagine a chimpanzee yeah. or, you know, any other sort of ape species. Mm-hmm. But it also had other human-like features, which included small canine teeth, short middle part of the face, and the foramen magnum, as you mentioned. Yeah. So that's really cool. And it's it, these crossover species, of course, is what you see all the way up until... Homo sapiens sapiens, yeah. we call it, right? Yeah, almost all of them are a mix of human and ape. They have to and, be, otherwise they'd be human. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the it's very interesting to see what parts are human-like and what are more ape-like or whatever. And Yeah. So the next one dates to, the fossils we have date to somewhere between 6.2 and 5.8 million years ago. Mm-hmm. So kind of overlapping with the Sahelanthropus chadensis a little bit too. And this is the Auroran tugenensis. Yeah, and this was found in Eastern Africa, uh, the Tugan Hills. That's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Most of these are named for sometimes a person and sometimes the place where they're found. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. So either way, Tugan Hills of Central Kenya. And you're going to find that a lot of stuff was found in East Africa. Yeah. 
there's a we'll, we'll probably get into that later, but there's a lot of reasons why things were found in East Africa. Oh yeah, we got it them. has to do with the geology mm-hmm. and the way things are exposed. But yep. either way, this was found in East Africa, and this one was small, approximately the size of a chimpanzee. Again, most of these early species were coming from that smaller primate line, mm-hmm. and you know once they started walking upright and getting bigger brains. They started getting physically taller and bigger, mm-hmm. but it took millions of years for that to happen. Yeah. Right. I mean, we still have small humans. I knew somebody who was, you know, four feet, 11 inches yeah, tall. Totally. Right. And it's another thing to keep in mind. Like you. Yes, there are large primates. Gorillas are very big. Orangutans can get mm-hmm. really big, but they're not in our they're not in the same line there. I mean, we have a common ancestor with them, obviously, but it's way, way further back. Sure. Apes. Chimpanzees and bonobos, those are our closest ancestors, and they're much smaller primates. So you can imagine that anybody in our human evolution line, Mm -hmm. our pre-human evolution line, is going to be much smaller. And these guys definitely were. Yeah, some of their other human-like characteristics were small teeth and thick enamel. Yeah. So for this species, we have a femur. That shows evidence of the bone buildup on a femur that is typical of bipeds. Mm -hmm. And honestly... That's really all we need, yeah. right? We, we may not have more of this that we've identified as definitely belonging to this species. Mm-hmm. Unless you find it in association with other bones, it's really difficult to tell that. Mm-hmm. So we may have more examples of the species, but they may be called something else yeah. or they may be called nothing at all. Yeah. Or they may be called the wrong thing. Yeah. So, you need those like perfect pieces to tell you right. what species you're looking at or if it's something yeah. that is in the, the pre-human evolutionary line. But while you think... Everybody looks different that's sitting around you right now or people you see on the street, people you go to work with. We all have a lot of the the same internal stuff that looks exactly the same. (laughs) The only thing that would make a femur look very, really different between two identical humans standing next to each other is some sort of pathology. Yeah. Right. Some sort of disease or something Mm -hmm. they had that altered their femur. But when you get down to the bone level, you can really tell a species and even sometimes the sex, depending on the bone, Mm -hmm. and then sometimes the age, depending on... Where yeah, those, the, how, where the, how the bone developed. Those things. Uh, age and sex are usually something that you can tell pretty well from the bones. But mm-hmm. yeah. And like there's been some really bad like pseudoscience that has happened over the years oh, where yeah. people saying that they can tell what race somebody is. But but really like you can't. You just cannot because there might be certain characteristics that are more common in certain regions of the world mm-hmm. than in other regions. But that is the closest you can get to saying that kind of thing. But that being said, because somebody probably heard of this, there have been really good AI facial reconstructions done of like skulls and things like that. Mm-hmm. And once you have the actual face, you can start to see features that may be regionally specific. Yes. You know, yeah, racial, you can, if you will, but yeah. regionally specific. Yeah. But but it's really difficult to tell that just by looking at the bones. You really need a computer to put mm-hmm. it all together and pull those little pieces together and say, yeah, your cheek looks like everybody else's, but in reality, it kind of looks like this a little bit. There's yeah. these things that you just can't tell until you build it up and yeah. you have that data set. Like so. this bit is more prominent. That's right. why that's why the the features like the protruding face and stuff like that are really easy to yeah. distinguish between primates and humans because that's a very obvious difference. And when you get primates like these kind that we're talking about that have this sort of mix of human and ape characteristics you you kind of it looks kind of protruding like a chimpanzee but maybe not quite as far and that kind of stuff that's how you know you're looking at something that's in that in that line somewhere along the way probably yeah 
Yeah, and this one probably uh, walked, but also climbed trees. Again, a crossover species. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I mean th- we climb trees now, so <laughs> well, we'll climb trees better. <laughs> right. I mean, we shakily uh, climb trees, or at least I do. Yeah, when I yeah. All the times that I cl- try and sure, climb trees. Sure. <laughs> all right. Well, Chad didn't get us too far, so we're going to take a break and see what Artie can do with us on the other side of the break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show. 208 is the episode number, and this is our first paleoanthropology series. Yeah. And we are talking about a few fossils, and we're back, I mean, four million years plus. Yeah. And that's how far back we're going here. And, mm-hmm. and there is there is stuff that's been found that's much older, but we're talking about, you know, really specific things that show definable traits that led to what became modern humans. Yeah. Right? And these are fossils and species that most of the paleoanthropology world yeah. agrees are at least somewhere in the human yeah. evolutionary tree. So yeah. there are others that are outliers, but these ones are, are pretty well established as being part of it. Right. And I mentioned Artie at the beginning. It's only because when this genus was first announced, it was called Artipithecus, right? Yes. And there's a number of fossils in the Artipithecus line. Yeah. And the genus that makes it Artipithecus, that's some of the more common traits. And then you mm-hmm. add on the extra little bit and this generally gets down to where it was found yeah. and, and some, maybe some slight differences in what we're talking about. So we're, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about two from the um, Artipithecus range right now, but yeah, they were nicknamed Artie early on. The first one, the that first was found. one was Artie, yeah. Yeah. which we'll yeah. talk about in a minute. Yeah. But the first one here that we're talking about now is Artipithecus Kadaba. Yeah. And Artipithecus Kadaba was somewhere in the 5.8 to 5.2 million years ago range. And I don't think they have that many examples of it. So when we give a range like that, it's probably the best range that they could get from the dating. Whatever dating they were able to do on it is that's that's the range that. And that's something we might include in this series because you can't date fossils. No. But what you can date, and in ninety nine percent of the time, what they dated here was the volcanic deposits above and below it. Mm-hmm. And there's uranium thoron dating. There's uh, there's a number of others. Fluoride. Potassium argon dating. Oh, potassium argon. Potassium yeah. fluoride is what you brush your teeth with. But <laughs> potassium argon dating. <laughs> I should never say things without researching first. <laughs> Where's Google? <laughs> right. Potassium argon dating. And yeah. what that means is these are, these are radioactive elements. And when they decay, they decay from one thing yeah. into the other. And when you when you measure the ratio of those chemicals within something, then you know... Uh, you know, you you know basically how much time has passed because you mm-hmm. know what the what the half life is of that of that radioactive element. Right. So either way, that's how they date these things, and and they usually have a layer up here and a layer down here, mm-hmm. and you know it's somewhere in the middle. So when you say five point two to five point eight, there must have been a five point two million layer of volcanic yeah. material, and then a five point eight million layer of volcanic material, usually basalt. Yep. These these flows happen all over Eastern Africa, and that's why we have such really such good dating on these things is because these volcanic flows happen all the time for millions Mm -hmm. of years. Yeah. So anyway, in the middle of Wash Valley in Ethiopia is just, so to speak, a wash with uh, (laughs) hominid remains. Yes, it it definitely is. I think we're going to be talking about this area in, you know, in the next couple of episodes too. Like there's just so much going on there and we have talked about it on other episodes, like news episodes too. They're, they're always finding stuff here. So, yeah. So this one, Kadaba was similar in size to a chimpanzee again, we don't really get bigger than this until we start hitting around the 2 million year yeah, range. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But we only have a few uh, postcranial bones, some teeth, and a large toe bone in the fossil record for this one. Not a whole lot. No, but the toe bone is the 
important one here and the one that makes them think that it's part of the Artipithecus species and that it would have been bipedal-ish, probably a, a combination. Yeah. And it's it's broad and robust, and it could have been used for what they call the bipedal push-off, which is exactly what you think. Like when you take a step with your foot yeah. and you're pushing forward with that front part of your foot and your toes, that's the bipedal push-off. Yeah, and feel it. You can feel it if you're just like walk barefoot. Feel yeah. where your big toes are. Yeah. You know, you can feel that just to kind of dig in yeah. and keep you upright. You need that strength in the <laughs> feet and that shape in order to like help you walk upright, basically. It's the one thing that robots can't seem to get right <laughs> when uh, when you see them try to walk bipedally. Oh, they always walk heel like, first, don't yeah, they? Yeah, well, they just, they just can't do it. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to do. So the canine teeth also resemble later hominins, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, which is pretty cool. Yep. So, but again, we don't have much about this species. No, so these are going to be don't. pretty short conversations. Yeah, they are. Yeah. There's not a whole lot else, else to say, but we know that it's from in that space within the two lava flows. So yeah. if somebody wanted to go looking for more of this, they at least can like pinpoint what, right. what layer they might find them in. That doesn't guarantee you'll find anything, but right. you can at least pinpoint that. You know what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the next one is Artipithecus ramidus, and this was the first Artipithecus species that was defined mm-hmm. and dates to about 4.4 million years ago. Mm-hmm. Again, Eastern Africa in the middle of Wash region of Ethiopia and also in Gona in Ethiopia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a couple of different places there. Yeah. And this one is the one that's nicknamed Artie. And I feel yeah. like this might have been discovered recently. Well, when we were in college, it was a more recent discovery because there's a lot of so. emphasis put on it. And yeah. I just remember it being like one of the big ones yeah. that we that we covered in college. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's a partial skeleton with foot bones and a crushed pelvis that they were able to reconstruct. Right. And that's important because that's like that's a lot of pieces for a fossilized skeleton to have foot bones, pelvis and, you know, various other fragments, too. And here's the thing. There could have been traits that were passed along that didn't necessarily make it into what we would call modern humans today, but also yeah. didn't make it into anything else. Yeah. They right? just died away. It, yeah. it, we're not saying that all of these traits that, that came about were ultimately successful, right? It just, mm-hmm. they weren't. And this is probably an example of that because yeah. the foot bones here have a divergent large toe with a rigid foot. And this isn't very human-like, yeah. but it's also not very chimpanzee-like yeah. or ape-like. And, and by, by di- divergent, they mean like the toe kind of like, Kind of like shot out. Yeah, like shot yeah. out away from the rest of the foot. So yeah. that wouldn't have made walking super easy, I would imagine, well, right? Just, it could have made gripping trees very easy, though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it so it's hard to that. say what this what this being would have done. And you might be thinking, well, maybe this was a deformity. Maybe yeah. this was a, a non-standard version of a member of the species. But yeah. the general theory in paleoanthropology is you're going to find the average representative sample of yeah. that species because... There were millions of them alive. Mm-hmm. And if you found one of them, the chances of you of that one you finding being something that had some sort of genetic deformity that none yeah. of the others had yeah. is so unlikely. It's so unlikely. The mm-hmm. possibility is not zero, but it's so close to zero that yeah. it's almost not worth talking about. Yeah, so for sure. It, it very well could be this, but we need more examples. Mm-hmm. So so like I said, they, they were able to reconstruct the pelvis. And from that reconstruction, they say that it has adaptations for both bipedalism and also tree climbing. So maybe doing a mix of both based on the shape of right. the pelvis that they reconstructed. However, there's, there's always a however, always right? A problem. <laughs> there is criticism of the conclusions that are drawn from the reconstructed crushed pelvis. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, like it's a crushed pelvis, a crushed fossilized Four million year old pelvis right. that a bunch of modern 
human scientists looked at and said, this piece goes here. I mean, they might have done it perfectly correctly, but there definitely is some room for error there. And also, like, you're interpreting something based on crushed pieces and you don't know when that crushing happened. And I don't know. There's just there's just a lot of room for error there. So mm-hmm. I can see being skeptical of whether or not these adaptations are actually truly for bipedalism or even tree climbing. Who knows? Yeah, but it does have some other human-like features. It does, Like yeah. the uh, canines again. Uh, mm-hmm. Sounds like canine teeth evolved pretty early on to be similar to what we have today or became what we have today. Yeah, for sure. If you look at them in a picture, you can see that human canines tend to be smaller and more diamond-shaped than yeah. than ape or primate ones. Do, well, so. just imagine a chimpanzee with, like, smiling. They have, like, fangs almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're pretty stout canines yeah. used for, like, ripping flesh, yeah. right? But right. you need that when flesh isn't cooked. Right, you and sure not do. that these guys were cooking stuff back then, but not we're starting to get to the point where, you know, you you could eat different foods based on yeah. you know what you were doing. So, anyway, this is about all we're going to talk about today. But we're going to continue this series and bring you a lot more paleoanthropology. There's so much more to discuss, and you know, once we start getting down into some of the really nitty gritty here, it gets really fun, mm-hmm. and then I can talk about my experiences digging two million year old fossil bed layers. Mm-hmm in africa yeah for sure yeah so all right well with that we will see you guys next week with some more paleoanthropology bye thanks for listening to the archaeology show feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com find us on facebook instagram and twitter at arcpodnet Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.